Shot is no good. The rebound tapped back outside. The cannon drives the lane. Blocked by Wolf. Rebound Pennsylvania. Dave Wall. The Bilski's Leon to the wall in the middle. Up and good. Leon to fast break. Executed to perfection. Here comes Fields the other way to the foul. Gets to the foul line. Blocked from behind by Wall. Wolf with the rebound. No good. Rebound Bob Wolf. Hot left pass to Bilski. Jacob's going to run again. Bilski has Calhoun and Wolf all the way underneath. And he Welcome to Penalty Box. I'm Sam Mitchell here as always with Carter Thompson and Mark Margolis and we are back after a short hiatus and we're really excited to uh, get into talking about everything Penn Athletics. We're stoked back where it all began here in the DP office in the morgue with all the old newspapers rather than our normal location in the podcast that office. None of you guys can see anyway because this is uh you know, SoundCloud, but... <laughs> well, I mean, hopefully the, the imagery will be just as good as if we were we, were we are in a mail room. Video. We are in yeah. a mail room. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that doesn't mean that we won't be bringing uh, fire takes and expert analysis like we always do. Oh, I don't know if Carter will be bringing any expert analysis, given uh, a couple weeks ago he had an ill-fated pick to not only pick against uh, Michigan, uh, but to call them, and I quote, bona fide scrubs. Here's Carter from last week. No, um, no, 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 no. What I don't understand about this game is that Michigan is favored by seven and a half points. I'll give it to them. They're playing at home. You know, the big house, blah, blah. There is no way that Wisconsin doesn't either A, cover, and only lose by like three points or less than a touchdown, or just flat out win. I mean, this team has a solid quarterback play. They've got good defense. You know, I think that Michigan is extremely overrated. Um, Wisconsin's got this one in the bag. No problem. The Michigan Wolverines beat the Wisconsin Badgers 38-13 to that Saturday. So I'm going to give Carter the floor. Uh, he has some things he definitely wants to air out. Hey, you know what? I, uh, I made an incorrect prediction a few weeks ago. I said that Michigan was going to lose to Wisconsin. Uh, not completely unfounded, but... Uh, Are you doubling down? Nonetheless, <laughs> After the nonetheless, nonetheless, they have looked very good the last two weeks, and so I will, I'm, I'm here to take the criticism. Uh, I'm owning the pick. Wouldn't change it. Wouldn't change the pick, but I'm owning it. Uh, I do need to apologize to Mark's mom, um, who, upon near close of the Wisconsin game, sent Mark a text that said, um, please tell that nice boy from the podcast that Michigan players are not scrubs. And so... <laughs> and and she's is, right. And I mean, she, I mean, she was right. And for that, I am apologizing. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like she deserved that. Um, so, yeah. No, I'm... Well, and we should sticking. also give a shout-out to my, uh, my econ professor, Adam Karabatakis. He's, like Mark's mom, a, a Michigan alum. And... Uh, listens to the podcast apparently and and when i walked into class last week he he said hey tell your friend he's a punk <laughs> hey and you know uh and People you know we're entitled I, to their opinion i i think i think you know, carter's right, a good carter. guy I, no i mean look carter for all his flaws there are many he's a good guy he's a good guy means well you know clearly does not know how to make an accurate football prediction uh, in regards to michigan wolverines but uh you know he tried his best you know, gave it a shot, gave it a good old college try, and uh, a lot, lot of heart on that kid. We'll try better next time. Hey, you <laughs> know what? Right, and we're gonna see how good I'm gonna do when we do our picks later in the show. But you're gonna have to wait for that. 
So uh, speaking of, uh, I guess, the, you know, the football team uh, most people actually care about, uh, Penn football, uh, so it was rough. It was rough. Yeah, it's uh, n- not, not, been a, not been a happy time for the Quakers. They obviously fell to Yale in a pretty dismal fashion, and, you know, I, I think... I think we can we can just come out and say it at, at this point, uh, and, and this isn't a novel prediction, but this season is over for the Quakers, right? There, there's nothing really left for them to to do but but play it out. Carl, you talked a lot about this in your column, correct? Yeah, I wrote I wrote a column following the game, basically saying the exact same thing. You know, look, there hasn't been a two loss Ivy League champion since I think it was 1988, if I'm correct. Um, and so, look, like Princeton is just playing at another level right now. Dartmouth also has a strong team. We saw that earlier in the year. And those teams aren't coming down to earth anytime soon. And so I think that it'd be foolish to think that Penn is still on the running, um, which, you know, was they, you know, could argue that they don't deserve to be after getting beat by Yale so uh, handedly on national TV on Friday. One of the things that's been pretty perplexing the whole season for me is why Nick Robinson hasn't been given a chance. I mean, it'd be one thing if Ryan Glover was setting the world on fire, and the the loss isn't on him. It isn't all on him. Neither is any of the other offensive struggles this season. But at times, I feel like teams just need a jolt. They need something different at the quarterback position. It's you know, it's one you can kind of swap in and out, and it just remains to be seen. Who knows? Maybe maybe Nick Robinson's just been abysmal in practice and hasn't earned it. But from all the reports from uh, Coach Priori throughout the offseason, it was a neck-and-neck quarterback battle, and it was supposed to go into the season. And for it to not go into the season, and then for the offense to struggle, I think that's kind of inexcusable on the part of the coaching staff to really not give both players some time in the game. You know, Robinson hasn't even gone, or he's gone maybe one series, but he, you know, maybe give him a quarter in a game that, you know, didn't matter towards the Ivy League Championship game, but... Now I feel like in a way they're kind of stuck with Glover because they don't want to. They don't want their you know future starter for the next couple of years to lose confidence. But I mean, they also miss an opportunity to see what he Robinson can do. To towards that end though, the the Quakers are lucky that all of the remaining quarters in this season don't matter towards an Ivy League championship. Well, I mean, they technically you know I mean they're eliminated practically but not mathematically. You know they're still going to compete. Well, sure, and, and but part of competing should be looking ahead to next season, and and that has to include trying out Nick Robinson at quarterback. I mean, I don't disagree, but I, I mean, I don't think. Look, if they are, if they truly are a team that's going to be able to compete next year and the year after, they should be still going for it in their minds this year. I know it's the old cliche; it's not over till it's over, but they're not mathematically eliminated. Sure, you know. Well, I'm not saying the Quakers should lay down. I'm saying they should look at this. I mean, it, it's it's got to be disappointing. It's disappointing as a fan. It's got to be disappointing as a player, as a coach. They should look at it at least as an opportunity to do some experimenting and, and see what the this era of Penn football is going to be. I mean, this is something that we've talked about a lot is, you know, what is this team going to look like? And this is a chance for them to find out. They, You know, I, I think we all agree they didn't really use the non-conference schedule to figure that out. They inexplicably stuck with Ryan Glover, even through the Sacred Heart game, which looked like a great kind of early mid-season tune-up uh, after a couple Ivy games had been played. Um, they, so they, they kind of squandered that opportunity, and, and now they have the whole rest of the season to, to test some things out and experiment a little bit. And I, I think they'd, it'd really be foolish if, if they don't do I don't that. think they're going to, though. That's the thing. I would be surprised at this point. I think they should, but I'd be surprised if they 
made like a significant switch at the quarterback position. Yeah, well, look, I mean, obviously, we can all agree on the fact that Glover wasn't necessarily the reason that Penn lost this football game. You know, in fact, he had a career high in passing yards with about 275. And look, like, I think that they need to look at how they've been doing on third down, which certainly was not good against Yale. And I think that I absolutely agree with Sam. Like, the rest of the season should be trying out both guys and seeing what works and doesn't work. Because if you get in a position where Robinson comes in and you rattle off four or five straight wins to end the season, then then what? Because then it almost doesn't really help you right now. But, I mean, certainly would help clarify things going into next year. Absolutely. Um, and so uh, I know we wanted to mention one other thing related to Penn football. Um, Michael Collins, who uh, used to be a uh, quarterback for the Quakers, uh, transferred to TCU, I think, uh, transferred, a uh, he transferred a couple years, transferred after, I'm a current junior now, so he transferred after my freshman year. Uh, he was projected to replace Alec Torgerson. He decided to transfer to TCU. He's currently serving as the backup, but, uh, the first string guy, Sean Robinson, is, uh, out for the season with an injury, so, uh, who knows, maybe Michael Collins is gonna have a chance to, uh, to, uh, to do some great things for TCU. So we are very excited uh, for two reasons. One is that uh, Penn basketball is right around the corner, uh, and the really the biggest solace for disappointed uh, Quaker football fans should be that we are getting closer and closer to uh, what, what many would consider this school's premier sport, basketball. The second reason we're excited is because senior sports editor Jonathan Pollock is joining us on the podcast. It's great to be back, guys. Woo! It's great to be back. Oh, thank you. Thank Pollock. you. Thank you. Uh, there's, there's nothing I love to talk about more than Penn basketball, and I'm very excited to do it here. Great. So I know uh, both Mark and Pollock, you guys were at the Red and Blue scrimmage where uh, we got our first kind of look at some of the new guys and some of the new lineups that we're going to be seeing a lot of um, in this year for Penn basketball. So why don't you tell us a little about that? Uh, so to take it away, um, Michael Wang, that's definitely a name Quaker fans should uh, take note of. He's the real deal, the, uh, the highest recruit in the Donahue era. Michael Wong, sorry. The highest, <laughs> the, uh, the highest rated recruit in the uh, Donahue era. Um, he did not disappoint, 19 points, uh, did, it all, you know, did it all, scored inside and outside. Also added, I believe, seven rebounds and three assists. Donahue called him arguably the uh, the best passer on the team. This is this is a guy who could step in right away and make a huge impact. Not slated to start right now, but he's someone who will, at the very least, be providing a lot of offensive punch off the bench, and uh, I think will eventually, you know, could very easily slot into the starting lineup uh, yeah. later in the year. I very much agree. Um, I, I think he's Donahue's. Uh, Donahue's ideal big man. He fits perfectly into the system of sort of like an inside out where the the center and the forwards uh, work to pass the ball inside and find uh, either big man or smaller cutting guards. Uh, Wang can, uh, Wong, sorry, can stretch the floor. He had three threes, uh, in, including two that were nearly identical. It was a pretty impressive play. He pump faked the defender, sidestepped, and swished it. Um, he showed an ability to cut uh, ability to cut and to find people off cuts. Um, he had some great passes, and, and I I really think it's a hot take, but not really that hot of a take that he come come Ivy play. He's in the starting lineup in place of Rothschild. 
Um, so one thing on that is, although he is definitely talented at the start, there could be, if Penn is off to a, an amazing start and Wong is playing great off the bench, you might Don, he might not want to fix what's not broken. But talent-wise, I think he looked like the best offensive player there. Um, defense, you know, leaves a little bit to be desired, but not something that can't be improved, especially, uh, you know, as you get used to guarding uh, smaller guards, which will be... Uh, which will be tasked to do, especially if he plays um, with Broder and Rothschild at the same time. Another player to uh, watch out for from the freshman class, he didn't have a great red and blue scrimmage, but he's someone the coaches and uh, particularly A.J. Broder have raved about is uh, freshman Bryce Washington. Um, he doesn't look like he's slayed, he's definitely not slayed to start. Goodman and uh, Silpy look like the, uh, the first two options at point guard, but arguably the best athlete on the team. Um, he showed some promise, he apparently showed some promise in practice with his three-point shooting. Uh, it was tough to really, you know, he didn't, he definitely didn't play his best, uh, in the red and blue scrimmage, but he's definitely someone to watch out for. And, um, on the point guard spot in replacing Darnell Foreman, uh, Pollock talked to, uh, to Coach Donahue today, so I guess you can elaborate a little more on sure. that. Sure, yeah, so, I mean, I, I got more or less the same thing from him today and as I did uh, at the red and blue scrimmage, but it looks like Devin Goodman is going to be the fifth starter, uh, taking up the point guard mantle. Um, Donahue, Donahue feels that not only is he uh, able to take the job, but he, he's really earned it. He's worked hard uh, to prove that he deserves this job. Uh, I think it's really interesting to see exactly how he's going to function in this role because the Devin Goodman we've seen before has sort of been a spark plug off the bench. We saw it against Columbia last year when he just lit up the scoreboard for 23 points and brought the Quakers' offense back from the dead. Um, so it, it'll be interesting to see whether or not he can sustain that level of intensity and that energy um, that he provides in short little bursts, if he can sustain it over a longer period of time. Um, one thing that Donahue did sort of extol uh, of... Uh, Goodman's is that he's been improving rapidly defensively. Um, he's really been sticking to his man pretty well and, and making good reads. And we saw that a little bit during the um, during the red and blue game. He had three steals, which I think was the most out of anyone else. Um, and his passing looked pretty uh, pretty improved too. He was able to slow down the game, uh, sort of play more of a traditional point guard role rather than just like your your burst option. Um, he had a couple really nice cross-court passes to find the open man, uh, using his driving ability to kick out. So I, I saw a lot of things that I like from him, and, and I think there's a lot of potential there for him to su succeed in this role. Definitely. I think we'll, we'll see a lot of Goodman and Silpy, I think, at that. Now, Goodman's starting, but they're both going to play a lot of minutes. Uh, I think the difference, really, with Goodman and Silpy is Goodman, I think, more can win you a game. Uh, more so than Silpy. Silpy will be a steady force. I don't think he would lose them games. He's going to play his role. He plays heady basketball. But Goodman can really be a spark plug. You know, we don't really see Silpy go off in these huge offensive bursts, but he's pretty solid. Whereas Goodman can, you know, we saw for a month where he didn't see the court, and then the game he gets in goes for 23. So you have a little bit of a, you know, your highs... Your highs, your highest highs with Goodman are way better than Silpy, but your lowest lows, you'll probably want to ride Silpy. So we'll kind of see how that dynamic plays out. And as I said earlier, don't sleep on Bryce Washington. 
Uh, Mark, are you a, are you a fan of Jake Selby? I'm a fan. I'm a fan. Okay. The Jewish Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Do a clean pause, and then I'll talk about the women for a little bit. Uh, I would also want to mention uh, the women's team who had their scrimmage before the men. Uh, I saw about most of the, most of the second half. Uh, some notable names from the Katie Kinnam played really well. Uh, she reigned a couple threes in a row. I think she led them in points. She's looking to be one of the main people who's going to be replacing Anna Ross as one of the point guards. So I think it's entirely feasible that she is either the second or third highest scoring player on the team. And we saw flashes of it uh, with her off the bench last year as like a change of play, a change of pace option. Um, but I, I, I'm excited to see what she can do, uh, presumably in the starting role. Um, and then your usual standbys like. Leia Parker had a great game. Ashley Ross had a had a good game. It's just there there's a lot of there's a lot of questions for the women's team just because they lost such uh, a huge amount of their a huge amount of their production. They lost um, r- former Ivy Player of the Year Michelle Nochetti. They lost uh, their steady point guard in Anna Ross, who was either first or second team All Ivy and is the program assist leader. And they also lost. Lauren Whitlatch, who is their their sharpshooter from deep, um, so it's really just a lot of production and a lot of value that they're looking to replace. So there's a lot of people who can step up to fill those roles. I mean, there's a lot of people that can step up and fill those roles, but we also, I think, uh, have some idea of of where it, it's going to come from, or maybe where it needs to come from if the Quakers are going to play at and and be a part of the class of the Ivy League like like they've been in recent years. Um, and and that's Alea Parker. I mean, she's been incredible. Uh, even as uh, such a young player, she's really stepped up and, and been able to play with with anyone, you know, in in, in the Ivy League or, or really otherwise. And um, she needs to go now from being a great player, uh, not just for a rookie, but uh, and to being an incredible player or maybe the best player in the Ivy League because there there's going to be a huge burden that falls on her, not just. Uh, you know, kind of in the paint where she used to share space with Michelle Nochetti and she'll now be a little more on her own, but also just as a team leader and as somebody that, you know, is going to be asked at times to facilitate and, and to have the offense run through her. And, and so that that's going to be something to watch. All right. So, uh, you know, as we're aware, there are also other sports on uh, Penn's campus. So women's soccer, I think the... Uh, you know the cream, the creme de la creme. They're so good, unbelievably of the, uh, of good. The fall season. Yeah. Um, I think going off. I think what is their winning streak at? Four or five, maybe even more. Yeah, they're four and zero oh and one in the Ivy League now, um, which puts them three full points ahead of Princeton, uh, who are three and one and one, um, and they've just looked so good. I mean, they uh, Emily Sands obviously is having an incredible season, but the, the entire team's production is up. The defense is playing really well and gelling really well. And, um, we're looking at a showdown in the final week of the season between Penn and Princeton. And, uh, both teams are looking, I mean, if, if things stay where they are, both teams are looking good enough to make the tournament, but it could be serious seating, uh, and, and obviously an Ivy title at stake, uh, in that last game, if, if things keep going the way they're going. So, um, shout out to them. We also wanted to give a shout out to, volleyball um they obviously we talked about in the last podcast have not gotten a win for a while but um finally notched two wins in the past couple weeks um so big ups to them for that um 
Now let's get to uh, college football. We had a great time last podcast talking about uh, our picks, and obviously some of us uh, fell face down in the mud. But, some of us do better picks than others. <laughs> uh, but we're getting back up now, uh, right, Carter? And yes. we're really excited to be making these picks. So, I mean, first I think we, we talked about a little already, but, but we should um, remind people of Carter's indiscretions yet again. I mean, just ridiculous. You lambasted the people in Vegas, the the good people in Vegas for the great for, people in Vegas <laughs> for for setting this line, which I think Michigan covered by like at, at least an additional touchdown. A lot. Yeah. Covered they, by a lot. I mean, they they it was a double digit victory. It's a seven point line, which Carter thought was ridiculous, but you know I think we've uh, we've had our fun with Carter, and we might want to move on to the uh, the picks this week. Sure. Uh, Sam, you want to lay him on us? uh, Certainly. So we've got, uh, first up, a marquee matchup between uh, two SEC giants, Florida versus Georgia, and the line here is minus seven, favoring the dogs. I don't know who wants to go first. Uh, So I guess I'll start it off. Um, On the last podcast, in the humble brag, went two and one in my picks, and I did that by mainly going with the team that had the best quarterback. And when it comes to Georgia-Florida, I don't think it's particularly close. Jake Fromm over Felipe, Fran- Felipe Franks. I forgot how to say his name, honestly. But anyway, uh, you know, Georgia has a really strong running game uh, with uh, DeAndre Swift, the Philly product, and Elijah Holyfield. Um, really strong defense. But they really just have the edge of the quarterback position and, you know, the most important position on the field. And I see Georgia coming off a loss, my only wrong pick last week. With Georgia, you know, Georgia coming off a tough loss to LSU. Uh, I think it's going to rebound, and, uh, you know, they're going to beat Florida, I'd say, roughly 34-21. to 21. That's my pick. Carter? Yeah, I'm stoked to, for this most recent edition of the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. Um, always a fun game to watch. I know I'm going to be glued to this one. Um, I like UGA in this one. I think they'll cover. Um, I just don't think that Florida is that good. Um, I really have no idea how they are ranked so highly. They are just so desperately overrated that it hurts. Um, Wait, did you go to Florida State at any point? Uh, I don't know what you're talking about, sir. For those who don't know, uh, Carter Thompson golfed at Florida State. Uh, he loves his Seminoles still and does not have a place in his heart for the Florida Gators. Is that safe to say? That doesn't mean that this isn't an objective pick, though. Oh, of course. They have not beaten anybody, and they are somehow ranked ninth. I don't understand. <laughs> I really I really just don't understand it. And they, so they have I, not beaten anybody. They are 0 and whatever. They are 0 and 0. They haven't beaten anyone notable. They actually Kurtz. don't have a team. <laughs> they beat LSU. Fine. That's one. <laughs> that's, pretty, that's a pretty good win. <laughs> that's one, one win. But, I mean, come on. Let's they beat LSU. Go. LSU beat Georgia. Let's be real. There's no I mean, chance. There's no chance UGA loses this football game. Zero. I, as much as I like to disagree with Carter, I'm also picking the dogs in this matchup. I think they're just more talented than Florida, and especially coming off a loss, they're going to be super motivated, um, and and just really come out there. and And this is, you know, a, a, a little bit of put up or shut up time for UGA. That they're considered a title contender, and and they should. Uh, show gotta, us that. Gotta play like it, though. Yeah, I mean, they definitely do. I, I think Florida um, is maybe not quite as bad as you guys think. I think there's a chance Georgia wins but doesn't cover. Um, so I could see it being close, but I, I do think uh, Georgia will pull it out. 
Next up, uh, we have a marquee matchup from the Pac-12, Stanford versus Washington State. Stanford favored here by three points. Um, so I got to go with uh, our, I guess, pseudo-Ivy contemporary Stanford. Um, and this is particularly tough for me because the quarterback, the quarterback battle is pretty much a wash. Um, however, I, you know, Stanford's with uh, Bryce Love projected to come back. They have, you know, one of the best running backs in the country, Heisman candidate last year. Easily could have declared and gone in the first couple rounds. And so I see that with, uh, you know, they have a ba- Washington Stanford's about a wash on D between the two. But Stanford with a stronger running game, uh, quarterback who doesn't really turn the ball over. Uh, I see I see Stanford coming out with this. Yeah, I mean, I think this one's going to be a pretty close game, but I, I do like Stanford playing at home. Um, Bryce Love came back next, or last week, rather, and I think that he gives them a nice little spark here. Um, I just think that they're going to be able to pull this one out just because they're playing at home. Uh, i got to disagree with both of you guys. I like Washington State. Uh, they're coming off uh, an incredible, I mean, just a, a journey to getting college game day to come to Pullman, Washington. The fans are going to still be riled up, still maybe a little buzzed from the uh, the partying, which from all accounts never stops at Wazoo. And, uh, and they're going to come down to sunny California and kind of uh, teach these Stanford trees so a lesson. So in our third matchup, we've got uh, Penn State versus <coughs> Iowa. Um, the uh, Hawkeyes are coming into Happy Valley. And uh, I don't know, Mark, you want to go first? As uh, someone who's grown up in the great state of Pennsylvania uh, my whole life, even as a Michigan Wolverines fan, I got to take Penn State. Uh, eventually, they got to figure it out. They've had a rough couple of weeks. They lost to Ohio State, lost to Michigan State, and near lost to Indiana. Um, but I see them putting it together here against Iowa. Trace McSorley and uh, Miles Sanders, Saquon Barkley's replacement done a fantastic job you know you can't replace Saquon but you can try and he's done as close to as good of a job as anyone could ask and I really see Penn State I believe it's at home correct yep yeah Penn State at home white out um most or whatever they wear white out blue out doesn't matter Penn State's coming out with this I don't know I I have to respectfully disagree with you here Mark I think that Penn State has just vastly underachieved this season I think that even though they lost Saquon. I think there were still he- like high hopes for this team, and McSorley just hasn't delivered. I think that they really should have lost to Indiana last week. They were thoroughly no. outplayed that game, um, and so I think that Iowa comes into Happy Valley and um, and beats them. Yeah, I'm I'm going with Penn State too. I think uh, they're the better team, and they they've certainly struggled of late. Uh, Indiana is a team that they should be able to handle pretty easily, and they didn't. And um, you know they maybe say they've had a lot of uh, opportunities for a wake-up call but I think that uh, at a certain point they are going to wake up and and I see it happening in this game and and it's hard for me to believe especially the game being played at Penn State that a team like Iowa that um, you know is is honestly uh, I'm not going to say they're overrated but they're rated more highly than this program is used to and and maybe they're getting a little I don't think they're ready for what Uh, Penn State is going to bring, especially playing at home. I guess we shall see, won't we? We will. 
because of a technical difficulty, we ended up recording Hard Nose Player of the Week twice, and rather than pick between Reb Tan or Taya, I went with both of them. Uh, luckily, we had the same winner both times, so the standings will uh, remain as they should. So now it's time for everybody's favorite segment, Hard Nose Player of the Week. Um, before we get into the discussion, I just wanted to give a quick shout out to Emily Sands. None of us are picking her this week because she is uh, so good at soccer that it kind of breaks the scale and we, we agreed that it would be unfair for anybody to get to pitch her. She had two killer goals in their last game. She's just having an incredible season. Um, I know that they're playing as we're recording this podcast, so uh, I don't think she's scored yet, but it's certainly possible or maybe even likely to happen. Um, so for those following at home wondering why she hasn't won this week or maybe why she hasn't won every week, that's why. Um, and now let's get into it. Sweet. So my nomination for Hard Nose Player of the Week is Penn Men's goalie, or yeah, Penn Men's soccer goalie. Sorry, Scott Forbes. Um, the man made four really clutch saves against Yale, uh, where the Quakers drew 1-1. Um, he's been a brick wall behind the net all year, and a big reason why Penn soccer is in the position that they are in this season. Is his job like particularly tough though? Like, is it hard to be a goalie? Yes, because they get shot on a lot. <laughs> huh. Hmm. Okay. Um. So my choice Wait, is. Sorry, uh, the name again? Scott Forbes. Okay, got it. So my choice is a uh, Penn sprint football running back, Jake Klaus. Already, sprint football is one of the more hard-nosed sports that uh, we have on this campus. They are the lightweight football team, and uh, you know with. Uh, the starting quarterback coming off of injury, uh, they really had to rely on their running game. And Jake Klaus responded in a game that they needed to win in order to in, in order to keep their championship hopes alive. He had three touchdowns, 70 yards, five yards a clip, and uh, 140 total yards in general, and really uh, put the offense uh, on his back. And so uh, he's someone who ran between the tackles. He really did it all. and. Uh, show toughness uh, on the field for Quakers. And, I'm not so good with, like, the numbers. Can you tell me, like, a story about him? Like, build a narrative, you know, like... A narrative? Yeah. Well, <laughs> a narrative about it. Well, from all I know about Jake Klaus, um, <clears throat> he's been three-year starter. Um, he's first team all league uh, past couple of years. Um, Hmm. His person, like, what do you want to say about his person? <laughs> no, like, even in the game, you know, like, I, I don't really know what 140 yards is. So, so like, I'd say, um, in general, at the sprint football level, mm -hmm. it's pretty good to have around, like, at least 100 yards of total offense mm -hmm. if you're starting running back, and he had 140 and three touchdowns. It's good in kind of any context. So he had a really strong game in terms of what he put together on the ground. Um, and it was also how much he was needed, too, you know, their quarterback. He needs to take a little bit of a load off of their starting quarterback, mm -hmm. and he was able to do that, and he did it in a game that they needed in order to win the championship. Unlike soccer, who's out of championship contention, sprint football is very much alive, and he came clutch when it mattered. Oh, I like that. I like when you guys, like, diss each other. That's helpful to me. <laughs> you should have heard the first 20 minutes of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. So, um, before I give my pick, I did want to add, I forgot to introduce you. Uh, uh, so, Reb 
is the uh, executive editor of El the DP. Uh, not the president, but... Uh, Much more important. Pro- yeah, probably the most Lost. important uh, journalist in the city of Philadelphia, yeah, I would exactly. say. Um, definitely, uh, you know, a, a big part of this company. For people who don't know, everybody at the DP definitely knows her, and we're really excited to have you on the pod. The, uh, the idea here is um, to kind of expand our ability to uh, explain sports to people because you don't have a lot of experience with sports, right? So I think Sam's being really nice. Sam's probably being too sweet. Um, I didn't watch a football game until I watched the Eagles win the Super Bowl. And even then, I like someone had to coach me through what was happening while I was trying to coordinate coverage around it. So, yeah, I don't... Definitely not um, good. In well, um, you can at least put on your uh, your sports pedigree now that you mm-hmm. have been on a sports podcast yes. which uh, carries a lot of clout these days so, yeah. so much clout. <laughs> much clout. Um, but anyway back to hard nose player of the week uh, my pick this week is a rare double pick I famously picked Raven Suleiman last week and she did not win famously. she <laughs> she is a sophomore on the volleyball team I picked her last week because I thought that it was uh, a real expression of toughness um, to be on the volleyball team this season because they had not notched uh, an Ivy League win yet in the season. And um, I think to come out and play under those circumstances is really difficult um, just when, you know, your team is a big underdog and and you've been losing all these games. Um, I'm nominating her for a similar but different reason this week, which is that uh, Penn Volleyball notched two incredible wins, uh, including one sweep over Cornell uh, in the past two weeks. And uh, Raven Suleiman was a big part of that. She had 17 kills in one game, 12 kills in another. Kills may sound like a very tough word, and it is. Um, And a a kill in volleyball is the person who makes the last hit to score the point. And that, that... it's it's often a spike. It, it can be all sorts of different things, but it's really and it, it's it's something that requires you to uh, you got to reach up high. You got to be, be willing to hit the ground. You, and I mean, volleyball is an incredibly tough sport. They they lay out um, onto hard wood floors, uh, mm-hmm. you know, on basically every play. Um, and even above just the average volleyball player, Raven Suleiman plays tough. Uh, she plays on a team that uh, doesn't have super high that that that, that uh, you know. It, doesn't have high expectations. They've maybe been underperforming this season. And to come out and get those wins and to put up big numbers and, and even as a sophomore to, to lead her team in the way that she has been. I mean, they, they've got a lot of a lot of great leaders on that team, but mm-hmm. but she's an integral part of that. And, um, you know, I think that that, that showed, uh, even for a team that's not in championship contention, that's uh, still an incredible amount of grit and toughness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, I think... I, I know very clearly who my winner is, um, and I'm judging, I think, purely on um, storytelling ability from the three of you. Um, and I will say that definitely Sam delivered the most compelling story, so the volleyball girl gets it. That's Raven by Suleiman. The, by, by, by the end of his story, I, you know, I felt like I knew her. Like, she was, you know, you she's don't know had, anything about her. She, she's, she's had a tough season. She's in a she's in a sport or she's in a team that isn't doing so well. Like I identify with that. I, I find that inspiring. Absolutely. <laughs> well, um, thank be, you very much. This will be your last appearance on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I figured. <laughs> no, we are very glad to have you here, and uh, I certainly. Uh, 
I certainly see the wisdom in, in everything that you've said. I agree. Raven Suleiman, very tough. Do you agree? <laughs> That's great. Um, so thank you for joining us. I, sure. I believe you will be back uh, at some point in the Anytime. near future. I have no if Mark will have me. <laughs> I have no authority on the podcast. <laughs> I just talk the most. Yes. Uh, thank you, as always, Mark and Carter. Um, and thank you to the DP for sponsoring us, and especially DP Sports. Thanks to Jonathan Pollock, who was on earlier, and Allie Johnson, who's the podcast editor. This has been The Penalty Box. We will be back next week. Now it's time for everybody's favorite segment, Hard-Nosed Player of the Week. Um, joining us is Taya, who is a uh, reporter. What's your official title at the DP? Reporter. Staff writer, Staff writer sports reporter, something. Goat. Also, <laughs> uh, star, lax player. Um, Best bench warmer you've ever met. <laughs> <laughs> so we're really glad and excited to have you back on the podcast. You famously came on with Brevin to talk about lacrosse last spring, and uh, it's good to have you in the offseason. And she's going to tell her teammates about the podcast, too. Yeah. Hey, guys. If you're watching or listening, <laughs> please listen. <laughs> Thanks. Um, it's an interesting strategy to ask them to listen on the pod yeah. because if they if they hear that, they'll already be listening. Please continue listening, guys. Okay, don't hang up. <laughs> Thank you. Don't stop. <laughs> stop listening. Make it till the end. It's almost over. <laughs> yeah, just a few more minutes. Um, as we do every week, we are going to, uh, Mark Carter and I are going to make pitches for who we think is the toughest Penn athlete uh, of the past week, and then you will get to decide. I don't remember last time, did you get to make the pick or not? I don't know, did I? I think she did. I think you did. You did? Okay, awesome. Right. Well, she picked me, I think. So we'll see. Hopefully <laughs> she makes the right choice again. We'll see, see if the trend <laughs> continues. Uh, I don't know who wants to go first. Um, so my choice for uh, Hard Nose Player of the Week is a sprint football running back, Jake Klaus. Um, in a game sprint football needed to uh, keep their championship hopes alive, he had over he had over 140 yards of total offense, three touchdowns, and really carried the offensive burden uh, with their quarterback coming off of injury. So you know, putting up great numbers, his team needing him, uh, his you know his offense not at a hundred percent or a little rusty. Um, I think are all very strong cases to why <coughs> Jake Klaus is our uh, should be hard nosed player of the week. Mark is clearly soft and wrong. Uh, the obvious choice is Scott Forbes, goalie on the men's soccer team. Dude has been just a brick wall in the net for the Quakers all season. Had another great game against Yale. Four saves, clutch performance, very hard nosed. Now, uh, four saves, correct me if I'm wrong, not even that many for Scott Forbes. This is, some would consider even a down week for him. Interesting that you would pick this week to nominate him, but, you know. Idiot. What's the <laughs> career high of 11? Something. That's neither here nor there. The performance is still hard-nosed. <laughs> so I, I am uh, picking Raven Suleiman of the volleyball team. They obviously had a tough start to the season, uh, were winless in the Ivy League until... They had two great wins over Cornell and Columbia, including a sweep over Cornell. And she really led the team in those games. Not only is she a big part of the, the kind of off-the-court leadership, even as a sophomore, but on the court she had uh, 12 kills in one game, 17 in the other, combining for a 29 across the two, which is just incredible. I mean, she's – and, and when, when you watch her play, she, you know, 
gets up, gets down on the floor, whatever she needs to for the team. Uh, really tough, uh, really serious player. And to push through that kind of emotional difficulty of being on a team that it has been losing, has maybe not lived up to expectations, and, and to finally get those wins, is in, in my book, is a really tough performance. Now, so I'm a little biased here, maybe, because Scott Forbes and Ray are two friends of mine. But um, Raven, definitely, considering her, like, Raven and Forbes are both in, like, similar positions, I feel, with being on teams that don't always win, like, men's soccer teams having a lot of trouble coming up with goals, and the volleyball team, like, just can't, like, they win, but they're not the best in the league or anything. Um, I'm going to go with Raven here. Uh, I have seen her, like, interact with her team, and, like, her leadership skills are phenomenal. Um, I see her, I've, like, watched a couple of their games, and, like, she, the way she works and the way she talks about her team afterward, like, it's really impressive. So, for that, I'm picking Raven for Hard Nose Player of the Week. Excellent. Uh... Thank you very much. Big shout out to Raven. You, I mean, she's been playing amazing all season, but especially this past week. So, I think you made a great choice. Any I comments? Nothing to say. I hope you enjoyed your time on this podcast. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's your last day. Sorry, Forbes. Good riddance. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, that wraps up another penalty box. Thanks, Taya, for joining us. Thanks, as always, Mark and Carter. Thanks to the DP and especially DP Sports for sponsoring us. And uh, thanks to Allie Johnson, who is a podcast editor. And we will be... Yeah, we, we broke 50 listeners last week, hoping to add another 50 this week and get to, uh, get to triple digits. Um, we'll be back.